of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. everyone and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. It is good to be back. I have taken a long break over the summer from podcasting every week and we'll hopefully get back into that routine, that rhythm of life. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy talking. I enjoy discussing uh, matters of theology, um, Worship, culture, I love uh, talking about these things and thinking through these issues. And uh, in the process, um, I may already have my uh, views um, already sorted out, but in the process, I grow through um, studying these topics that I discuss. And um, so I'm going to continue that. And so thank you for listening. It is good to be back and uh, hopefully you gain something out of this as well. Um, so I'm starting off today um, talking about a worship-related topic. And in fact, the next few weeks um, will all be worship-driven. Uh, this podcast is devoted to matters of uh, worship, theology, and culture. And so sometimes it's not all solely worship-related. Sometimes it is theological uh, and sometimes it is cultural, uh, but for the next few weeks and little while, it will be worship-related, and today it is specifically music-related. Let me just go ahead and tell you kind of what my plan is, and that is not to say that that the Lord cannot change this, um, but I, I have some plans for today and then next week. Um, uh, some topics set out to discuss. But after that, I want to begin a uh, series on um, neglected aspects, neglected essentials of corporate worship. And there are five of them that I have in mind right now to discuss. Um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and give you two of them, and I'm kind of um, trying to sort out the other um, the other five, the other three I I have them in my mind, uh, and that is not to say that as I think through these, there may not be more, uh, but right now I have five in mind, um, and two of them are the Lord's Table and uh, the Kiss of Peace. Now, some of you are going, what is the Kiss of Peace? Uh, I will get into that, but uh, uh, that will start in two weeks, uh, but uh, today I'm going to be talking about an topic that I've sort of hit on in the past. Um, but going to be, I'm going to be focusing on this topic today, and that is language in worship music. Um, what I mean by language is, uh, what is the best approach to the language that we use in worship music? Be it modern, traditional, metaphor, literal, uh, whatever we use, what's the best way to approach that? Uh, the reason this is heavy on my heart right now is, um, a recent popular worship song has caused a lot of controversy among worship leaders and churches. Those who know me might think that it's just me, but it, uh, being in the worship field myself and having discussions with other worship leaders, I know it's not just me, but there are varying opinions on uh, Corey Asbury's reckless love. It sparked a lot of debate far and wide. 
there have been arguments made both for and against the use of the word reckless to describe the love of God. Um, I've heard everything from it's a metaphor. Uh, I've heard uh, from a human perspective, God's love is reckless because it does not make sense. I've heard that the song does not speak of God himself, but rather his love, and I've heard others. Um, and so I, I don't intend to delve into that discussion of this particular song itself or the use of the word reckless, but in general, I want to discuss the broader topic of language in worship music, and so I want to examine the pros and cons of modern versus traditional language and metaphorical versus literal language. And I, I, I also don't intend to sway anyone one way or another, but to have us think through these issues as it relates to the message of the gospel. Keep in mind that the gospel is central. It is key. That is what we are communicating. And so no matter the context that we are ministering in, which is disparate across the spectrum, we have to keep these issues in mind. And... So this is not to be taken lightly. There are those, and I hear it all the time, that say uh, these are semantics issues. And that does happen, but I I think more often than not, they're not semantics issues. These are theological issues that people need to think through. Let me give you another example, Um, a song that many people are familiar with, a song that I have led myself many times and would not be opposed to doing so again, is Chris Tomlin's How Great Is Our God, uh, sort of an older song, if that's uh, kind of the way you think. It came out in the mid-2000s, but uh, How Great Is Our God, it's a good song. I've led it several times. Um, the second verse says, The Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son. Now, upon first hearing that, many people might think there's nothing wrong with that. It's the Trinity. Except... It is the wrong Godhead order. Anytime triune God in all three persons is mentioned in Scripture, it is Father, Son, and Spirit in that order. For example, the Great Commission. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there is a theological reason. Many people might argue that this is just semantics, but it is so much more than that. It is not semantics. Realize it or not, it teaches a particular theology. I have actually dealt with this very specific issue before in my own songwriting and came across that issue and had to reword the line uh, so that it did not contradict the Godhead order. And there's not a hierarchy. Uh, This is not to say that Um, Father, Son, and Spirit are not equal because Father, Son, and Spirit are certainly co-eternal and co-equal. But there is a Godhead order. One God, triune God, but three distinct persons with three different functions. Uh, And in Scripture, you see that the Father... um, sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit. And it is said in certain creeds, certain uh, faiths within the Christian faith, that um, uh, that, that the, the Holy Spirit is eternally proceeding of the Father and of the Son, um, and that the Son is begotten of the Father. Now, that does not mean created. It is a reference to His eternal 
uh, incarnate person. Um, the son sins, uh, the father sins the son, the son sins the spirit. And then we worship in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, the son, the mediator, to the glory of God the Father. One God, three persons. And so these, uh, this language that we use teaches theology. It's not a semantics issue. It is a theological issue. So I have a few thoughts on um, language in music. And then I want to give you some pros and cons to these types that I have mentioned. Uh, the first thought I have is that clarity in gospel communication, no matter the medium, whether it's music or speech, uh, is crucial. And so I, I've suggested this before, and I've even shared blogs and podcasts on the topic, but clarity in gospel communication is crucial. I'm, I'm often uh, quite surprised and dumbfounded at the number of professing Christians who truly claim and believe that the language we use in our gospel presentations, whether through music or speech, does not matter, and that any criticism of such communication is, ju is just nitpicking. That is not the case. Usually what I find is that those who have um, reservations and perhaps criticisms of certain songs or uh, things that are said um, are doing so with a, a an intent desire to communicate the gospel ef effectively. And we never get it right, 100%, but that should not be an excuse not, not to try. We cannot have this attitude if we desire clarity in the gospel message. Um, I, I often say this, yes, we're human. We are not perfect, so we will not get it perfect, but we should strive for accuracy as best as possible. We've been given an incredible task, a task that requires the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so why would we take that task lightly? Why would we just write off the language that we use in our worship services? To claim that the language used in gospel communication doesn't matter is to effectively admit a lack of care. And so we have to keep this in mind as we minister in our own denominational and cultural contexts. Uh, which is often from where our choice of language is derived, the context that we are in. So that brings me to my next thought. The next thought is that context is important. God has placed a unique call on every individual in his kingdom, and our job then is to obey and to go where he sends us. And so I'm dealing specifically with worship music right now, but this really can be applied to all forms of ministry. Uh, traditional language does not work in every context, and modern language doesn't work in every context, believe it or not. And so the same could be said of metaphors and literal languages. Uh, each, each has its own place. And so consider the context where you serve. If you minister primarily to teenagers, you're likely not going to use traditional Puritan-like languages, which use these and thous. <laughs> um but in many traditional church settings with older congregations, or sometimes not even older, I mean, I'm 35, um, getting, I'm approaching middle age, um, uh, pretty close to middle age, I um, actually enjoy that language sometimes. Um, but the context is key. So I want to walk through some of the pros and cons of each type of language 
that we use in our, our worship services. Maybe you go to a very progressive church that only uses contemporary language. Uh, maybe even in Scripture. Maybe you use a translation of Scripture that is contemporary in nature. Maybe maybe you go to a church that does not. Um, there are pros and cons, I think, to each, and I want, I want to delve into these. Um, so let's talk about modern language. Um, this is usually what you're going to hear on Christian radio. It's what you're going to hear in most progressive churches that sing uh, newer songs. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of modern language, uh, and, and sometimes there's some crossover with metaphor, but uh, modern language can be beneficial in modern contexts where you might minister to younger a younger population or even to people who might be more progressive in their approach to music. Uh, but there are some pros and cons. So let's talk, talk about the pros uh, first. First of all, it's easy to understand. It's colloquial. It's the way we commonly speak. <laughs> so to the average person, um, it is very easy to understand, usually. Um, there is also a seeming freedom to form uh, to the form of prose and grammatical rules. Um, and what I mean by that is it is not strictly tied to grammatical rules. It's common everyday speech. Uh, it's also a text that can speak to a generation of believers in a way that traditional language often cannot. And so maybe you have a way of reaching younger or uh, more progressive people in a way that traditional language cannot. So some of the cons to modern language. Um, uh, how great thou art, for example. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. That would be considered a traditional language. There's nothing fluffy or um, odd about it. Um, there, there's nothing colloquial about it. We don't use these and thous. Um, but there's nothing wrong with using that in music. A lot of people would say that because we don't speak like that, we should not sing texts like that anymore. Yet, there are a lot of biblical and scriptural concepts that we don't use in our everyday language as well. Um, terms like justification, sanctification, uh, terms uh, like election. These are these are issues that, that we don't talk about in our daily life too much, but yet they are good and they are biblical. And so it's okay to, to mention those. And so uh, this type of language is okay in music. So some of the, the pros to traditional language is uh, there's a commitment to proper use of vernacular language. In other words, you're not going to veer from the rules of the English language. Um there's usually also a strict form of text, which really yields greater thinking for writers. Um, and what I mean by that, I'm a hymn writer. Um, when I write hymns, I usually write in a very familiar, traditional form of text and grammar. Um, and it really causes me, because it, it's strictly set to certain parameters, it causes me to think about how I am going to uh, verbalize a concept or a theological idea in my composition. Um, whereas if, if, if I'm writing in a modern, uh, progressive way, I'm not going to think within those parameters. There's a little more freedom. The strict form of text makes writers think through how to verbalize that a little bit more. 
Some of the cons to traditional uh, uh, language is that the text uh, sometimes could be too difficult for congregants to understand. Uh, This is not always the case, and I will say this, that worship leaders should not shoot for the lowest common denominator and just go uh, sing anything so that everyone can understand it. Um, It's okay to get your people to think a little bit. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Another con is the use of outdated language. Um, In certain contexts, that might not be the best thing. If you are leading worship in a prison, or even in a church with a lot of young new believers, or you are trying to minister to a culture um, that that listens to a lot of hip-hop music, it's probably not the best thing to use these and thous. (laughs) Uh, But in many contexts, that is okay. Um, I I will say this about about understanding the, the language in music. I, I did say it's okay to get your people to think about the words used in music, and that is, and I encourage worship leaders to do that. Uh, don't stray from music and text that makes people think. Um, that's okay. It's good for people to think. I'll give you an example. There's a uh, hymn that I wrote uh, a while back. And the last four lines of the last stanza are written by Charles Spurgeon. And it says, If now with eyes defiled and dim, we see the signs, but see not him. O may his love the scales displace and bid us see him face to face. So when I first read that text, um, it didn't require a great deal of thinking, but it caused my mind to really start turning. The gears were turning. I was thinking about what does this text mean? And I realized this is a rich, rich language here. Um, it might not be used in every context, but for me, it hit home. Um, that that I only see in part now, but one day I'm going to see Christ. And um, if I am, if I spend my time looking for the signs for the miracles, for the blessings instead of God himself, I have completely missed the point. And so out of that, a hymn was born, a hymn that I have entitled, O Cherished Prize, O Christ, Our Praise. And the idea is that let us not seek the gold that is in heaven, but let us seek the one that heaven adores, Jesus Christ himself. And it was born from that text and me thinking about that. Um. There's nothing wrong with getting your people to think. So I encourage you to do it. So more types of language. We're going to discuss two more. We've talked about modern and traditional. Then uh, two other contrasting types are metaphor, uh, metaphorical language, and literal language. So metaphorical language can be a valuable tool for presenting the gospel through music. And I would suggest... Uh, however, that writers should be careful in their use and perhaps their overuse of metaphor. I am a poet, okay? So I understand metaphor. There are those that might be surprised by that because I love traditional language too. They might think I don't understand metaphor, but I am a poet and I love the use of metaphor. I also think metaphor still needs to make sense. <laughs> What is the point of using metaphor if it does not make sense? 
But often the effective use of metaphor is found in the limitation of it. Uh, metaphor should not lend itself to be an excuse for improper use of vocabulary. In other words, on a micro level, words have specific meanings, whether metaphor or not. But on a macro level, the combination of these words can give a metaphorical picture that expresses a concept in a, in a marvelous way that perhaps otherwise could not be expressed. And so be careful with the use of metaphor. There's a fine line there. I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of metaphorical language. So uh, some of the pros. Um, first of all, the picturesque language that describes a concept in ways literal language cannot. <laughs> How many of you have ever been gripped by a metaphor, a picture that, that just describes something so vividly and, and that was what, gripped, uh, what grabbed you? That, that's, uh, that, that's happened to me several times with metaphorical language, so it's a good thing. Uh, another pro is congregants acquire a personal meaning of texts in the music by thinking of a metaphor. Another, uh, for an example, God's love like a waterfall. Um, something like that. That's a, sometimes a commonly used metaphor, and uh, there are others, but but it, it, it grabs people, grips people in a way that maybe something else cannot. Here are some cons. Um, misuse of the text. Uh, and the obvious example I mentioned earlier, the use of the word reckless, used in a way that goes against the proper use of the word. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not going to dive into that again, you, you may feel a different way about reckless love. That is fine to each his own. That is an opinion. Um, but even in good metaphors, the words' meanings do not change. They, 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 yes, they, they might not be literal, but the meanings of the words still uh, don't change. So a waterfall means a waterfall. Um, the word doesn't change, and and here with reckless love, I'm chasing a rabbit here, but um, the word reckless has been changed. And um, moving on, another con: um, too much metaphor can make a song ambiguous uh, when the gospel really should be presented in a clear manner. You don't want ambiguity; you want the picture to really bring clarity to the gospel. So let's talk about literal language. Um, it's become seemingly more common for songwriters and worship leaders to stray from literal language. Metaphorical language seems to resonate with long, younger generations, and I even suggest that it's contributed to an increasing biblical illiteracy in our society and even a lack of spirituality. Literal language still has its place in Christian worship music. So I want to talk about some of the pros and cons of literal language. First of all, there's a clear meaning. In other words, black and white. It is what it is. That's a good thing. Secondly, congregates uh, that are singing literal language learn biblical concepts and theology in no uncertain terms. Uh, they are familiar with these concepts. And so worship leaders should always be mindful that they are teaching theology as they lead congregational th uh, singing. When I first started leading worship, that is something that I failed to realize, that I'm teaching theology. And so I need to take this task seriously. Uh, the third pro is uh, with literal language, there is a door to theological scrutiny. 
It sounds bad, but it's not a bad thing to have theological scrutiny. It's okay to be accountable to those those topics. Um, in other words, ambiguous language rightfully draws questions from Christians who are thinking about these issues. Uh, when someone is questioning a song, don't criticize them. That's okay. They're thinking through the issue. And that's not to say that they can't change their mind. But even if they don't, that is okay. They are okay to question a song. And more people probably should. So here are some of the cons to literal language. There's, there often seems to be a lack of passion. Uh, let's admit it. At first glance, metaphorical language seems to be more passionate than literal language. Until you start reading the literal language uh, from the right perspective. God's love literally is overwhelming. God's love literally is abundant. Uh, that That's not... Just a simple concept. It sounds simple, but um, there's so much there. And so there's not really a lack of passion, uh, but it could seem like that to some people. The second con is there often seems to be a lack of freedom in literal language. In other words, the text might seem strict and regulative where metaphor could imply freedom. Again, these are seeming issues. Uh, These are probably not um, realities. Uh, But these are the pros and cons. So I've discussed uh, literal and metaphorical language and a modern and traditional. And so know the fine line. As as Christians and especially as worship leaders, we should should not be so quick to judge something as heretical. Uh, That term is thrown out quite a bit uh, uh, toward things that are really not heretical. But there is a fine line, and we have to minister effectively in our own context without compromising biblical truth and authority. And I don't, I don't mean to harp on any particular song or style of music, um, but rather to, uh, to challenge all worship leaders to think about what they're doing. We're given an important task. It's a very serious task. And so it's not wrong to question the language used in our worship music and make the best decision possible for ourselves— And for the people to whom we're called to minister, clarity in gospel communication matters. And so the language in our worship music matters. And so with that in mind, let us be faithful servants. Let us examine where we are, the context that we are in, and let us be faithful proclaimers of a clear gospel uh, message with the language that we use in our music and in every part of our ministry. I hope this helps. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.